0: Alright, so Barry, you've, you've been generous enough to give me a little more time. Uh, we know we talked about the rise, the creation of this incredible, incredibly iconic car. Um, but you know, every, every upside has a downside and the slide towards bankruptcy and borderline obscurity uh, started, you know, as you mentioned in, in the last episode, kind of when he started getting bad press in the U.S., which was kind of immune. I mean, they kind of saw John and, and his wife, Christine, as a power couple. And, you know, both, both the, the, the Brits and the Americans love their power couples. Oh, yeah. I,
1: can remember, uh, I can remember a moment at the Geneva Motor Show when uh, John and Christina came into the uh, hall, this huge hall, exhibition hall, and the place stopped. You know, the, every journalist and photographer, it's press day, every journalist and pro- mm-hmm. photographer made to the door. It was like, you right. know, Prince Charles
0: and Princess Diana arriving. <laughs> right, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they, they searched the power couple, yeah.
0: And so you, you kind of, when you start seeing the cracks appear in the media, you know, that's when you know something's wrong. Uh, but but kind of some of this stuff started earlier. Uh, and I was kind of like amazed to hear some of the things that kind of went on. So first of all, and you can kind of give me if I get the timeline off. Um, you mentioned a guy named Roy Nesmith. We're going to get to him in a second. But one of the first things I believe, from a timeline standpoint, is John was was accused of impropriety from an accounting standpoint, basically using government monies to kind of fund a lavish lifestyle. He was cleared of those charges. Uh, that kind of didn't really go anywhere. I didn't really see that in your book. I saw it in a documentary. Again, <laughs> well, okay. um, so so I, how- me-
1: I mentioned it briefly. I think I I, I mention. Um, there was a, a secretary from the, or even a typist. I, I never, I, I used to visit the New York office. I never remember even seeing her, but uh, a, a lady called Marianne Gibson who um, uh, sold a story to the. Uh, in, she was English, working in New York. She sold a story to the English newspapers about this uh, um, uh, this lifestyle that John was uh, living and. The story was dreamt up about gold, golden gold taps in the bathroom at the uh, house in Northern Ireland that um, you know had been b- bought as a as a sort of palace for John to live in. Well, you know, all this is absolute nonsense. It was a, it was a house that we inherited on the site that we're going mm-hmm. to refurbish as a um,
0: is this the Warren, the Warren
1: House, house refurbished as a yeah. company guest house, and we never got round to doing the, um, uh, the the housekeeper's apartment, which is a one-bedroom affair with a bathroom. And um, mm-hmm. Charles Bennington, Don Lander, and I were the only people that ever lived in it. We, we lived in it, not together, but in turn. You know, oh, right. we followed on okay. each other. We lived in it, and uh, it had some. Um, there was some gold taps. I know. I was never even sure whether they were even just brass. I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> this story about the gold plated, uh, gold plated taps came into the equation. It was a complete fallacy, and um, unfortunately, it led to a, a, a Scotland Yard investigation uh, of what was going on in in, in Northern Ireland. And uh, it came and went as quickly as the story appeared in the uh, the, the British newspaper. A dread, dreadful affair. Another
0: hidden agenda, unfortunately. Right. Well, and so that was kind of maybe the first time people started maybe cocking yep. their eyebrow yep. at what's going yep. on. So you guys started getting, I mean obviously the UK press was a little rough because you guys were borrowing a lot of money from them. Um, you John Z wanted to create an, an accessory line on top of trying to get a car out which seemed kind of ridiculous um there's the gold-plated cars which we're not going to go into because i think we're going to actually be able to do uh, a thing with uh, i've got access to the peterson i think we're going to be able to do a thing with gold-plated cars which is going to be very exciting but that would, you know you got to make gold cars and then there was this character named roy nez nezeth who is this guy And because he sounds pretty insidious in this book, who who was he? Well, I only met him once, uh, and that was
1: not an occasion that I enjoyed. Um, Roy, uh, when I met him, it was on the occasion that I referred to when we'd been up to up to Long Island to see the the turbocharged cars, Um, and I think it's when we got back from there. Uh, to the New York office. This guy Nesseth was there, and um, it's the first time in my life. We English don't carry guns, right? Our police don't carry guns, right? We're not used to seeing guns. But as Roy Nesseth bent down um, to look at a drawing on a round table with John, the rear of his jacket came up, and I saw for the first time ever a handgun tucked into the back of his belt, in his trousers. That was a bit of a shock to me, to say the least. Um, He was not a person that I liked. I had no idea what his relationship with John was. I didn't know why he was there. I can only go on what I've read about Nesseth in books that... Um, again, have got agendas, but he appears to have been someone that had a long-standing relationship with John, going back, I think, almost to his General Motors days, where together uh, they got involved in um, some uh, slightly questionable business activities. Let's put it that way. But that is all secondhand. Oh, no more. As far as I'm aware, Nesseth never came to Northern Ireland. At least I don't recall ever seeing him there. He played no part in the project whatsoever. And my only, uh, the only time I ever saw
0: him was on this occasion when he just happened to be at the, uh, the office in New York. So, you know, but he's kind of a shady character. He's like kind of like a tough and, you know, as you mentioned, it's not it's not an indication in and of itself. But some of these things, as I was kind of reading it all when you see the end of the story, maybe some of these signs were there, these red flags, Uh, you know, but there are lots of things you guys couldn't control. Number one, you mentioned the troubles in Ireland Uh, while the DeLorean plant was kind of, you know, a safe place, you know, it was kind of like an untouchable place. Location, because there was no benefit to firebombing it, because both well, Catholics and Protestants were, were were there, right? Except we were firebombed. You, well, you, a Molotov cocktail hits your car, I think. While you're no, on no, phone no,
1: no, no, we lost, we lost a complete, uh, we lost all our offices.
0: Well, that's interesting because they talk about how you guys were kind – of, I mean, in some of the documentaries, but but you guys were actually – because in your book, I think mean, you talk about losing everything, like all of your cabinets and oh, we did. engineers lost.
1: Yeah, we had temporary offices built. Uh, you call them terrapins. Yeah, You call them porter cabins over here. Another strange you know, thing about the English
0: language. That's a turtle. Isn't a terrapin a turtle? We
1: had this block of terrapins which um, were erected before the factory was built, before offices were built, and – Uh, We had most of our manufacturing engineers were housed in there. All the records that go with it. My purchasing team that were responsible for buying all the plant equipment for the Dunmurray facility, all the consumable items, toilet rolls, pencils, pens, uh, tools, all the rest of the stuff, uh, had their records in there. And it was the – do you remember – or have you heard about the the, – the hunger strikes that went on in the Mays prison.
0: Yeah, no.
1: The, well, there were a there were a group of um, prisoners, uh, IRA prisoners.
0: Oh, hunger strikes! hunger strikes. Yeah, yes, yes. Went yes, on yes. hunger yeah, yeah. strike, and uh, right.
1: the, the one, the first one to die was a guy called Bobby Sands, who
0: was right. Yeah.
1: Had been made very political because he'd actually stood as a member of Parliament whilst he was in the Mays prison, and electing an M- elected an MP, and he couldn't serve, of course because he was in prison, but he was the first of the hunger strikers to die. And the night that he died, uh, there was a riot because the his body was taken back to his mother's house. His mother's house was just over the fence from where the plant was. And, um riots occurred, uh, the army went in and did a pincer movement with the rioters. And the story goes that purely by accident, the rioters were driven towards our fences. Okay, that's and fair. Decided to lob a few Molotov cocktails on top on the flat roofs of the terrapin building, so which all disappeared. So about hundred people's um, worth of uh, records were lost and had to be right. replaced.
0: What's the but plan? outside, but that was an accident, though. I mean, that was that wasn't a riot that happened. Your plant wasn't targeted, which no, is what I was saying. Targeted. It was kind of a safe place. No. Right, yeah, you weren't firebombed out of out of Spider oh, no, attack. No, 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 it was just not a Right. Okay. So, 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 what I've said—that's that, both of the, both of those things are true, which is kind of weird, but that is kind of what happened. People liked the people really. The plant was kind of like this point where, um, you know, almost like a, a neutral zone. Yeah, and, we,
1: were a, we were a beacon of hope for the, uh, particularly for the Republican community. They were getting jobs for the first time in Northern Ireland, you know, in big numbers.
0: So you know the the first the first car. I'm just going to go through some of these weird things that happened. The first car off the plant actually the driver wrecks the car. (laughs) he crashed crashed the car. No,
1: he didn't. He He didn't. It
0: it. It certainly (laughs) wasn't in
1: a state that we wanted to show it to John. So John saw saw the second car off the line.
0: Right. Well, you know, an omen. I don't know. Um, He never knew. I don't think he ever knew. He went to the grave not knowing. Uh, I think the first car that I mean, the first time the cars came out, there was a, a bad winter. I think in 1980, there's a recession going on. Uh, there's a huge inflation. No, at 81. Least, at least 81. In the winter of 81. 81. Yeah, right. Um, you know, you guys. Uh, one of the big problems was you tried to output from your factory. You were you were training all these new. You know, you mentioned you, all these people have jobs. You're training them how to build a car. Some of the first cars off the line aren't great. They have to be kind of retooled. Um, when you finally get it down, you got like 50 cars a day, you increase it to 80, which is a pretty a pretty large increase, um, You know, so a lot of the car quality starts going down, uh, and then you guys kind of run out of money. Um, yeah. So that's like a very you, yeah, quick you, cliff note version.
1: Yeah, you described about three months of activity in one sentence there. But. Well, <laughs> right, well,
0: we only have a couple minutes, so I'm trying to speed yeah. through it. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, it was – there were two factors. One – I mentioned when I went to uh, California in November of 81, it was partly to check out for Don Lander how the market, the future market was looking. It could not have been more rosy. Dick Brown was under immense pressure from every dealer that we had. We had over 300 of them for more, 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 more cars. Okay. John, if you cast back a bit from that, uh, John uh, had decided to try and do a public offering on the New York Stock Exchange. And the opportunity came that if we were able to increase volumes, of course, we could make the company even more profitable. In fact, it was. And that's when John instructed that we should introduce a second shift to lift production from 50 to 80. And it was then bringing in that second shift too quickly, uh, with a mixture of experienced labor and re- new recruited labor, that quality started to diminish. And that coincided, therefore, with us shipping more cars to America. America of course, on the tail end of, no sooner did I got back from California, uh, that by Christmas, that was November, by Christmas of that year, uh, the American economy was starting to go down the tube in one of the fastest uh, and and shortest recessions um, that they'd known since the Great Depression of the 30s. Uh, it was also coincided with one of the worst winters in living memory, and the combination of those factors were that people stopped buying anything, never mind cars. The problem with the dealers were, were that all our dealers, all our dealers were shared dealerships. They were. Dealers that were selling other product because we couldn't afford to start a, a dealership network from scratch that was sole, solely DeLorean. Um, so they were all stocked up to the gills with uh, Fords and GMs and Chryslers and the like and some of the European brands. And when it came to cash flow, they had to concentrate on moving the larger volume products. So right. the DeLoreans went to the back of the shop right, uh, to be forgotten
0: almost Right. It was a perfect storm. Perfect storm. Literally, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so so you guys run out of money. And what's interesting in the book, and this is this is kind of like towards the end. So they run out of money. Uh, The UK is asking for it's going to go into receivership. John's looking for backers. And then you it's it sounds like a coup almost, but it's not really because you're trying to save the company. Um, but you're in in some ways. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doing it a little bit behind John's back because yeah. you're working with a couple of people trying to raise yeah. funds. Um, it's a little convoluted. I won't ask you yeah. to go into all the details here. But but you're yeah. trying to basically buy another company that's going out of business, but that particular type of car would sell well in the U.S. And you're trying to like tie that into continuing plant operations to keep the plant alive, which I think was your main goal. To yeah, it, that
1: was, it, it was. It was a bit of a coup, to be honest, because. Part of the problem was that by the summer of 82, John's name had become severely tarnished in financial circles in the UK. Right. Trying to raise money um, around his name was nigh impossible. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we were conscious. Bennington and I were the two main protagonists. We were very conscious of the fact that we'd got, you know, a couple of thousand people who's likely have depended upon that plant in Dunmurray. So we came up with the idea. It wasn't a company that we were buying. We were taking over the um, the manufacturing rights to the uh, Triumph TR8 sports car, which is oh, open right, top, yeah. open-top V8 engine sports car produced by British Leyland, which had been cancelled. And we decided that there was still a market for it in the USA, um, albeit at lower volumes, than British Leyland needed to make it a profitable business. So mm-hmm. we came up with the idea if we put it together with a lower volume DeLorean, um, uh, so we got two cars being produced in Dunmurray rather than one, mm-hmm. then we got the basis of a viable business plan. Uh, right. the, uh, the the financiers in London uh, believed us, and we got a lot of support, Um We had to keep ourselves um, low profile because we knew we were competing with John whilst he attempted to raise money himself and because we were still, we weren't employees of John DeLorean any longer, we were employees of the receiver uh, Mm -hmm. that had been appointed uh, by the government to oversee the plant during its bankruptcy. So... But we felt that we, uh, we ought to remain anonymous. We were known in the press as the UK consortium. Right. So John, thought we, were of, <laughs> we were a group of suppliers right. uh, that were trying to do the rescue. In fact, he was encouraged to think that by uh, the, 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 a guy who was the head of the creditors committee of the supplier group. Did he
0: ever find out it was you
1: guys? Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> he did when... Uh, How'd that go? We were asked by the, administ- the receiver if we were prepared to meet with John's investors, the investors that John had lined up, because they wanted to explore whether, whether pooling our resources, we might be able to come up together with the funds to uh, save the plant.
0: Yeah, I was wondering why you didn't work with John in the first place, but I'm sure you had, for obvious reasons, I guess.
1: Um, well, it's because because his name was was dirt, right?
0: Yeah, we, yeah,
1: yeah. We, if if we'd we have been working with John, I'm afraid we wouldn't we wouldn't have got beyond the first base.
0: Right, that's how that sad
1: it was at that time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, so you so it, it kind of fails um but but what what is kind of happening underneath all of this um is that there there there's a sting operation trying to catch John drug trafficking and you guys are kind of in the way of all that as you're trying to raise money to save this company there, you, there you, it's, you're you're not intentionally getting in the way but you're kind of in the way of this sting um and then ultimately in 1982 He's arrested for drug charges, um, which as I was learning a little bit more about this, it's a little interesting because the person who has the information on him actually has a lot to gain from the FBI, and he ends up getting off on you know, on, the, on entrapment. Um, but it's a very strange ending to the whole story. Uh, that kind of put an exclamation point on it. it. Kind of ended your run to save the plant. Um, he he gets carted off, you, you know, reputation destroyed, never to make cars again. Um, it's a very weird, abrupt ending as yep. he was trying to raise funds to save his company. I mean, it's very sad and tragic well, for yeah, everyone involved.
1: Yeah, a, a lot of people can think that it's or well, not a lot, but th- there are theories out there that Recknick was uh, it was all part of a conspiracy by between Ronald Reagan and uh, Margaret Thatcher. I, I don't mm-hmm. buy into that. I, That's I, fun to buy into, though. I, oh, it's, it's, much, much, it's much greater fun to do that, yeah. Mm, right, yeah, uh, right. I, I, I make the point in the book that, um, you know, it, 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 what, I, I'm not in favor of conspiracy. I'm in favor of cock-up. Do you right. understand the term cock-up? It's a bit uh, of an garbage, English term, but BS. probably self-description, really, in a way. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was a cock-up. You know, yeah. um, it, it revolved around the fact that Margaret Thatcher didn't listen properly to what James Pryor, who was the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, was saying to her about our attempt to save the business. And anyway, uh, John, uh, shortly after, it was blatantly clear in hindsight that the British government was fully aware were being briefed about what was going on with the FBI drug entrapment thing. And um, by the time, of course, that came into the public domain, the whole thing was dead. Everything was killed stone dead. We're never going to get out of that that mess. So um, that was when we gave up and decided to go on with our lives elsewhere.
0: Right. Well, and that's the you know uh, you know the, the there's a whole bunch of supplies. Uh, the Delorean, all the Delorean stuff. Let's say um, that's a whole different story. That goes into receivership. A whole another interesting story. We'll get into another time. But the end of John Delorean is 1999. He has to file for bankruptcy, and who buys his estate? <laughs> But our president, Donald Trump, turns it into a golf course. Um, just an unbelievable story. Uh, I mean, this is the rise and fall of yeah. the DeLorean. is just incredible. You, you couldn't um, make it up, could you? No, it, it's, it's, yeah. um, it's unbelievable. It's why it's going to be made into a movie. And yeah. uh, You were their first and last employee of the company. Um, Barry, thank you so much for taking this extra time.
1: It's a pleasure, Dan. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night.